الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين. So welcome back to the Maradia Show, where we're meeting people where they are. I'm your host, Shadid Muhammad. In today's episode, we're going to continue with uh, dissecting the first podcast that was uploaded. And the title of that was The Five Stages of Marriage. In the last session, or in the last episode, we talked about um, four tips for a healthier marriage. Uh, we talked about concentrating on the act, not the individual. All right. We talked about, um, you know, the power struggle, you know, how that how change actually happens. Change original or organic change is from within, not from without. All right. And we talked about a few other tips. Uh, hopefully uh, you guys are using. Hopefully you guys took heed to. Hopefully you guys you know, are using in your relationship, inshallah, and, um, and then, um, and then we'll continue today, inshallah, with, uh, with more, all right, um, I'll, hopefully I'll have enough time for questions and answers afterwards, inshallah, um, but let me, uh, begin with, uh, dissecting, so as you guys can see, um, from the one podcast that I posted, we were able to, we are on our second class, all right, our second episode, dissecting the first podcast. And this is exactly what I wanted. I wanted us to kind of go through material. A lot of times I upload things to, especially when I had the SoundCloud account, I upload things, people listen to it. A lot of things go over people's heads a lot of things you know past people you know you're driving you're having a conversation while you're listening you're you know doing dishes while you're listening or whatever you know what I mean but we're not totally focused and i think a lot of crumbs get left on the table a lot of information gets lost in translation so i want to kind of slow it down a little bit and rather than just uploading audio after audio after audio I want to upload one audio or upload one podcast and then create other podcasts or create other episodes based upon that one particular episode, if you guys follow me. So we're basically slowing it down a little a bit. <clears throat> okay, so um, there were some people who did um, click on the button to donate. And I would like for those people who um, found the donate button or the sponsor button to explain, you know, uh, either on my Instagram page or on my Facebook page, explain how they did it. On my end, the button shows up. But for some reason, you guys are logging on and it's not. Maybe you, instead of going to the app, go to the actual website. Go to the actual Anchor website and then try to find the podcast from the website rather than from the app. I don't know what's wrong on my end. It's actually showing up. I don't know why it's not showing up on your end. I don't. But there were some people who did donate. So I would like for those people who donated to um, explain to others how they managed to do that. Okay. So did you guys, you know, was the, the last discussion, um, did you guys actually get that information Right. Concentrating on the act, not concentrating on. All right. 
Yeah, you might have to go to the website, inshallah. Try going through the website and try to find the podcast from the website and see if it comes up that way. All right. Um, I just want to know before I move forward that you guys uh, understood the last podcast, the last episode, the four tips for a healthier marriage. We concentrate, concentrate on the action, not the person. Don't make the person feel attacked. When a person feels attacked, they're going to put their wall up and it just becomes a shouting match. It becomes, you know, my word versus your word. And nobody's hearing. If two people, I tell my students all the time, if two people are talking, nobody is listening. Either you're going to speak your piece and I'm going to be quiet or I'm going to speak my piece and you're going to be quiet. But we're not going to shout. We're not going to talk at each other at the same time because nobody's listening because both of us are too busy trying to get our point across. All right. So somebody has to give something has to give. Somebody has to tap out. All right. So that was the one thing. The other thing was change, focusing on the internal, the internal motivation to change rather than the external consequences for not changing. You have some people who will impose external consequences like threatening women with divorce or women threatening their husband with divorce or asking for a quota or leaving. All right. Um, That does not create organic change. That makes the person basically what you're giving the person is an alternative. Either do this or I'm going to do that. That's not real change. Real change starts within from the inside by you expressing to your spouse their behavior, how their behavior is affecting you, how it is making your life in the marriage toxic, how it is compromising your ability to be happy. You know, to enjoy your happiness within the confines of your marriage. These are the type of things that, you know, should, should um, motivate a person to change from the inside. When you realize I'm hurting someone that I love, right? When you realize I'm hurting someone that I love, um, then that should be a motivating factor. All right. Sometimes fear of losing a person is a motivating factor. But then you have to ask yourself, is that how long does that change last? Thank you. She said, go to the, um, uh, thank you, Sister Lanise. She said, go to the actual website, the anchor, the anchor website, if you would like to donate or sponsor. Um, and it, it actually works from there. Thank you, um, Sister Lanise. May Allah bless you. Okay. So that was just a couple of things that we talked about in the last podcast, in the last episode. Today, while I have you guys here, we're going to talk about something just as important. And these four things that I'm going to talk about today, I also extracted from the first podcast. I had to go back and listen to it myself. The um, the five stages of marriage. I had to go back and listen to it myself. And as I'm listening, I'm just writing down little notes here and there of things that we can talk about. And as you can see, this is the four that we're going to talk about today. In addition to the four that we talked about two days ago, that's eight things, eight points that we extracted from just one episode. And so this is exactly what I wanted to do. I want to slow it down a little bit and I want us to be able to comb through the information and actually begin using the information. Too often in the Islamic community, we hear information and it passes through one ear uh, out the other. And it's just like, yeah, that was a good lecture. And we've become so accustomed to being entertained. And that is a problem. 
All right. We've become so accustomed to being entertained uh, and I'm not an entertainer. That's that's not my job. I don't I don't get paid to entertain you. I'm not here for entertainment purposes. All right. I'm here for educational purposes, empowering purposes, inspiring purposes. That is my job. All right. My job is not to entertain you. So if you're here waiting for me to say something funny, waiting for me to, you know, do something crazy, then, you know, you can kindly exit. You know, because I'm not here for the entertainment. All right. So the first thing that I want to I want to talk about is something that I mentioned on the five stages of marriage, and that is leading with validation. All right. Uh, The very famous um, public speaker and um, self self help, you know, uh, self help uh, promoter uh, Zig Ziglar. Right. Many of you may have been familiar with him. Uh, I had an opportunity to um, see him live at the Wells Fargo Center um, some years ago before he died. Very, um, very, very uh, influential, very influential speaker. Uh, Zig Ziglar, he said something, one of his famous quotes. He said, you can have everything you want in life if you just give everybody else what they want. One of his famous quotes he said, you can have everything that you want in life and if you just give everybody else what they want, all right? And when you think about that and you think about, you know, anytime you hear a statement like that, as a Muslim, the first thing that we do is to go back to our references, the Quran and the Sunnah, to see if there is anything in the Quran and the Sunnah that validates that point. Not that it necessarily needs to be validated by Islam. I mean, that's his opinion. That's his, you know, and sometimes life experiences give, you know, give credence to that. All right. Zig Ziglar. Zig Ziglar. All right. He said, you can have everything you want if you just give everybody else what they want. All right. What is he, you know, first is um, what does he mean by that? And second, do we find any reference for that in our religion? Did Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi allude to anything remotely close to that? All right. And this is and I'm only saying this because I know that there's a lot of Muslims who have been brainwashed into thinking that they cannot read anything that has nothing to do with Islam. And unfortunately, what they don't realize is that a lot of the secular material, if I could use that term, a lot of the secular material is rooted in religious material. Where do you think a lot of these people get a lot of their concepts and where do you think a lot of this stuff comes from? It's rooted in religion. It's rooted in spiritual teachings. Absolutely. And it's just unfortunate that people have come into our communities, especially African-Americans, because we are the ones who hold these type of beliefs, these type of concepts to be like law, right? Don't read anything un-Islamic. You know what I mean? Like, and it's like, where... Show me a hadith, show me an ayat, like, you know, okay, you're you're basing not reading anything Islamic, not reading anything secular, not reading, not taking information from non-Muslims. You're getting that from Saudi scholars who, you know, you know, speak about non-Muslims from a place of, you know, just disdain. Because if you grew up in Saudi Arabia and you were surrounded by scholarship in Saudi Arabia and you went to this university and you, you know, surrounded by these scholars or whatever, you you tend to think that that's... That's all that academia entails. 
And anything outside of that is kufr, is disbelief, is information from disbelievers and things like that. And that's, and that's a very closed-minded belief. And you had a lot of scholars that we, you know, as students of knowledge, that we took knowledge from that kind of, Yanni, they, they infused a lot of, they didn't never, I've never actually heard, you know, a Saudi scholar say, don't listen or don't read non-Islamic material. I've never heard that. But many of the students of knowledge who have promoted that belief, right? You have Muslims today who I don't read anything if it's not Islamic. And it's just like, <laughs> are you serious? You don't read anything <laughs> not Islamic? And it's just, it's sad. It really is. But they infuse a lot of those thoughts, a lot of those concepts into their teachings. And then those brothers in turn came back to America and began promoting that. And you have many Muslims today who will not pick up a, bo a book if it, is, if it has nothing to do with Islam. It's a very close-minded mentality, honestly. Um, and I'm, I'm really sorry. I can't really change. My, my plight is not to change the mindset of those people because those type of people, you can't, you're, you'll never be able to get in there. You know, there's a block. As Allah says in the Quran, أَفَلَا يَتَدَبَّرُونَ الْقُرْآنَ أَمْ عَلَى قُلُوبٍ أَقْفَالُهَا Don't they ponder and reflect on the Quran or is they a lock on their hearts? When people's hearts are locked, meaning they are, you know, they're, they're one track mind, they only see the world through one lens, um, it's very hard to penetrate, you know, um, that type of mindset. So, I'm, I mean, like, to each his own. If you choose to read only Islamic books, then, you know, you know, your conversations will be very limited. <laughs> your social interaction with people will be very limited. You know, and I mean to each his own. If that's the bubble that you choose to live in, then so be it. But a lot of times, um, a lot of the materials that we read that are not necessarily religiously or spiritually related um, is actually rooted. A lot of the concepts, a lot of, you know, sometimes I, I scroll through quotes and things like that, and I'm immediately making connections like, wow, the Prophet Sallallahu says something that is, you know, very similar to that. In the Quran, it actually says something that is very similar to that. And that's only when, you, you know, Alhamdulillah, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala blesses you with the ability to see the, see information through the lens of concepts. All right. When you see information as just black and white information, you'll never be able to understand what I'm saying. But when you see the Quran, when you read the Quran and you understand concepts, these and that is what makes the Quran timeless. The Quran is not timeless because it's just information that is relevant in every day and every time. The Quran is relevant and the Quran is timeless because the concepts that are extracted from the Quran can be applied to every time and every place all the way up until Yom al that is That is the miracle of the Quran, one of the many miracles of the Quran. And I'm just really sorry if... You know, a lot of people have been closed off from that. Maybe that's, you know, the khudlan, that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's way of, you know, blocking them out from actually having access to understanding this. You know what I mean? People build their very own roadblocks, then ponder as to why their journey is so difficult. Ponder as to why their road is so narrow, right? That the road is not that narrow, believe it or not. But yes, absolutely. They they create their own roadblocks through their own ignorance. Anyway, Zig Ziglar, he said that you could have anything that you want if you just help other people get what they want. 
Is there any reference from the Quran? And I, I remember back in the day, people said, oh, he's quoting non-Muslims, you know, so that kind of confirms that I'm a non-Muslim. Just really trying to figure it out. Like, what does that mean? Because I quote non-Muslims. <laughs> I quoted a non-Muslim. <laughs> you know, I, I, I really don't know what that means, though. How that somehow taints my Islam or how that somehow makes me less of a Muslim or less of an Islamic preacher or teacher because I quote non-Muslims. The non-Muslims that I quote, is the information contradictory to Islam or is it congruent with Islam? That That's all I want to know. Is the me quoting the non-Muslim the problem or am I quoting a non-Muslim whose words are incongruent with Islam or inconsistent with Islam or are his words consistent with Islam? That That's all I want to know. And when someone says that to you, oh, he quotes non-Muslims. Okay, the, the non-Muslim quote that he that he used, is that consistent with Islam or inconsistent with Islam? That's all I want to know. Don't miss me with the whole, uh, the jargon, oh, he quotes non-Muslims. Okay, miss me with that. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> the Sahaba accepted Israeliat narrations. I mean... I don't even want to go there. I'm not going to use Islam to justify some some ignorance. I'm not, I'm not you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't even need to be justified. Right? <laughs> so, he said that you can have whatever you want if you just help other people get what they want. Did not the Prophet ﷺ live by that? Was that not the Prophet ﷺ's life? Did he not use his position as a prophet of God to help people get to Jannah? And as a result of that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raised him up to a high standard. <laughs> yeah, they lack secular education to begin with. Absolutely. And that's part of our problem in the Islamic community, which is why I don't give public lectures anymore. I don't give public lectures anymore because I've come to the realization that the many Muslims, many, not just African-Americans, but many Muslims are just really illiterate. Believe it or not, they're very illiterate. They don't know how to read. They don't know how to process information. And all of those tools that we learned for the first 12 years of, of school, and, and, and believe it or not, I was kicked out of school many times for fighting for, you know, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a studious type of dude. I was actually anti-studious, <laughs> but I had basic common sense. So when I actually leveled out and I leveled up, you know, Processing information wasn't that difficult for me. I mean, like I, I had basic common sense. I wasn't stupid. You know, I had a rough upbringing. So, you know, that, that kind of contributed a lot to my fighting and being suspended and kicked out of school and things like that. That I had a behavioral problem. I didn't have an academic problem. <laughs> you understand? And a lot of Muslims, believe it or not, they have academic issues. They really I mean, even students of knowledge. I'm just being honest with you. I'm being totally honest with you. If you don't believe me, just try to have a conversation, have a conversation with, you know, an average Muslim that is along the lines of what I'm talking about. And you'll understand exactly what I'm saying. Muslims are very, very illiterate. They don't read anything, even Islamic. This whole idea, I only read Islamic books. You don't read Islamic books either. <laughs> you don't read Islamic books either because some of the basics of Islam, you know, you don't you wouldn't even know how to have a conversation with it. 
some of the basics of Islam. So this whole idea that I only read Islamic books, you don't read anything. And that's the problem. You don't read anything. You are actually illiterate. You are actually 35, 37 years old and you read on a third grade level. You read on a fifth grade level. I'm, I'm just being honest with you. <laughs> okay. So going back to my initial quote. So I, you, you, you kind of see I just actually wasted 20 minutes trying to explain something so basic just so I can get to my point. Which is why a lot of my lectures are so long and drawn out because you got to sift through a lot of the, you know, a lot of the misnomers and a lot of the things, you know, that we've been fed in our communities throughout the years just to get to a point, just to get to a point. All right. So Zig Ziglar, he said that you could have whatever you want if you just give everybody else what they want. I like to believe that Prophet Muhammad spent his whole life as an example of that. His entire life was spent helping people get what they want. Was it not? When he said there will be 70,000 people who will enter into paradise without bilayti hisab, without any punishment, without any reckoning, they will just be told, go into Jannah, 70,000. And one of the Prophet's companions, a man by the name of Ukasha, he said, O Messenger of Allah, and yaj'alani minhum. He said, O Messenger of Allah, make dua to Allah that Allah make me from amongst those 70,000. And the Prophet said, And to minhum, you're from amongst them. You are. Meaning, Allah, Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responded to the Prophet's dua immediately, mubashira, right away. The Prophet said, You are from amongst them. Another man stood up and said, O Messenger of Allah, make dua to Allah that I am from amongst the 70,000. And he said, Sabakaka biha Okasha, that Okasha beat you to it. It was only one slot, and Okasha beat you to it. Another companion by the name of Rabi'ah, the Prophet, who used to be like the water boy for the Prophet, he would go fetch his water for wudu and things like that. And so one day, the Prophet, understanding Rabi'ah's plight, he said to him, You know, sell me, ya Rabi'ah, or he said, Ask me for anything you want. And I'll give it to you. Is that not along the lines what Zig Ziglar just said? You can have anything you want if you just give everybody else what they want. He went to Rabia and he said, Ya Rabia, suddenly Urtik. He said, Ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. You don't think that the Prophet was doing that because he wanted, you know, to earn the station that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him? Didn't he stand up at night and Aisha said, why do you do this when Allah has already forgiven you? And he said, Should I not be a grateful servant? Meaning to whom much is given, much is required. You see the concept that I extracted from that? The concept that we are all familiar with? To whom much is given, much is required. If I said a non-Muslim made this quote, to whom much is given, much is required. I believe it was Maya Angela who, who made that quote, actually. Right? To whom much is given, much is required. If I said that a non-Muslim made that quote, and you say, well, where can I find that in Islam? The concept, you're not going to find a quote, but you'll find the concept in Islam. And the Prophet ﷺ said, Should I not be a grateful servant? Meaning, to whom much is given, much is required. Meaning, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave me this high station of forgiving me for my past and future sins, should I not exert myself to be worthy or deserving of that. You understand? So it, it, it's the concept. So the Prophet ﷺ went to Rabi'ah and he said, Send me or ask me for whatever you want and I'll give it to you. 
And Rabia, he thought about it. it. Took him a day. He told the Prophet Wasallam, "Give me some time. Let me think about it." And then he came back, and the Prophet said to him again, "Ya Rabia, sell me urtik. Ask me for what you want, and I'll give it to you." And he said that I ask you for your murafiqa. I just want to be your companion in Jannah. The Prophet Wasallam said, That's all you want? You don't want anything else? Here I am about to ask Allah, use my position with God to give you what you want. And that's all you want? You just want to be my companion in Jannah? He said, yes, that's it. And then the Prophet Wasallam said, Well, aid me. Help me help you by continuously praying all the way up until the time of death. You know, die as a Muslim, basically. And I can help you. I can make shafa'ah. I can intercede for you. Yom al-Qiyamah. Did the Prophet not give him what he wanted so that he could get what he wanted? Earn the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Prove to Allah that he was worthy of the status that Allah gave him? So the concept, it, it's there. And I can go on and on and on and on and on. That's, that's, that's not my point. My point is, Zig Ziglar said that you could have everything that you want if you just give everybody what they want. I'm using that to say in a in a marital setting, right? Think about you and your spouse. Think about what your spouse wants from you and what you want from your spouse. Think about that right now. Think about what you want from your spouse that you are not getting from your spouse, and think about what your spouse wants from you that your spouse is not getting from you. And all we have to do to change that dynamic is to give our spouse what they want. Give them what they want. Stop withholding. We think that, well, if she's not going to do this, I'm not going to do that. Or if he's not going to do this, then I'm not going to do that. We do this petty, you know, we got Princess Petty and King Petty in a marriage together. Everybody in their corner refusing, unwilling to give the other person what they want because they feel like the other person is not giving them what they want. If you give every, you could have whatever you want if you just give everybody else what they want. Oprah Winfrey said on the Oprah Winfrey show that for the time the Oprah Winfrey show ran from the mid 80s to the mid 90s, she says she interviewed 40,000 people for the whole time that the Oprah Winfrey show ran. She interviewed 40,000, over 40,000 people. She said in each 14,000 people, she said and each one of them had one thing in common. And that was that every single one of them was looking for validation. That is the number one human desire, human element that makes us whole is validation. We only want to be valid and more so in the eyes of the person that is important to us. If the person that you are married to is the most important person in your life, that validation means everything to you from that person. Validation from a complete stranger is neither here nor there unless you're just insecure and you have mommy issues or daddy issues. You never got the validation that you were looking for in your life. You will do whatever it takes hustling, as my wife says, hustling, right, for validation. Even pets need validation. Thank you. So important. Even a pet. A pet does something, right? 
A pet does something and then the pet looks for you to pet them, to rub them, to show them that they did a good job. They're looking for the validation. Even pets, thank you so much. Even a pet needs validation. She said, but over the period of time that she did the Oprah Winfrey show, she interviewed 14,000 people and every single one of them had one thing in common. And that was that all of them were searching for validation. So in a marriage, in a marital setting between husband and wife, you could have whatever you want from your spouse. Just validate them. Give them what they want. What if you shut down due to attempting to protect your emotional emotions due to not being validated constantly? You have to understand something. If your spouse is not validating you, then you have to you have to begin self-validating. I spoke I put a clip out of this before. I, I spoke about this in my detox class which will be starting June 20th, next Thursday, inshallah ta'ala. We still have about maybe three seats left for those, any of you who are interested in the detoxing yourself from yourself course. Um, you have to learn how to self-validate. You could, I gave an example, a woman could dress up really nice, right? A woman could dress up very nice, put on makeup and everything and doll herself up so when her husband comes in, he could say, wow, honey, you look nice. Damn, you're gorgeous. You're beautiful. You just reminded me of the reasons why I married you. And then you feel, I, I, I feel valid <laughs> because now I feel like all of what I did to the makeup and everything, it wasn't in vain. But let's just say your husband walks through the door like any other normal day and walks right past you. He ignores the lingerie. He ignores the hairdo. He ignores the makeup. He ignores all of that. He ignores the fact that you're ovulating. He don't even know that it's your, the time of your month where you're ovulating, right? He don't even realize that. And he walks right past to you. Honey, I'm, in the, I'm going to the room. I'm tired. Please don't bother me. Give me about an hour. I need to sleep. And here you go. Invalid, <laughs> an invalid. Then that means that everything that you did was in vain. You cannot wait for the other person to validate you. You can't. And you can't, if you sit around waiting for the other person to validate you, you're going to be an invalid your entire marriage. You have to doll yourself up in the mirror, the makeup, everything, and you have to say, I look beautiful. I look beautiful. You validate you. So even if your husband walks through the door and he doesn't acknowledge what you have on, it doesn't matter anyway. Because the validation that you were looking for, you gave it to yourself. Self-validation. You cannot. And the same thing with a man, right? The same thing. This is you taking the reins of your own happiness. You taking ownership of your own validation. Sometimes a man, we're paying bills and it always seems like the woman is just complaining and it's never enough. No matter what I do, you always find something to complain about. You're never satisfied no matter what I do. As a man, you have to tell yourself that I have done my job as a man. 
Whether you failed, whether you you recognize that or not, it doesn't matter to me. I know in my heart of hearts that I have done my job as a man. I know that I am doing better than most. I know that for a fact. And I don't need you to validate that. So you can complain. It's never enough for you. It's never good enough for you. It's all good. It's all good. But I know in my heart of hearts before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that I have done everything. And, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the ultimate validation. God's validation is the ultimate validation that we need. Right? What did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say to the Prophet Right? The Prophet they called him a liar. They called him a magician. They called him a soothsayer. They called him crazy. They called him all of these names, right? Which name calling can be pretty invalidating because that, that's the goal. The goal is to invalidate you, to break your spirit. That's why people call names. People call you names because they want to break your spirit. They want to change the way other people look at you to break your spirit. That's the, that's the ultimate goal, right? To level you, to bring you down, all right? So they leveled, they launched all of these, you know, criticisms against the Prophet ﷺ. He's majnoon, he's crazy, um, he's, you know, sahirun kathab, he's a, you know, he's a magician, he's a lying magician, he's a soothsayer, he's this, he's that. And what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do? Allah reveals an entire surah in the Qur'an, validating the Prophet ﷺ. Noon. By the pen and what it writes. You, O Muhammad, are by the permission, the bounty of your Lord. You're not majnoon. Validation from God. You are not majnoon. I don't care what they say about you. And if once God validates you, and how does God validate us in, t- in today's time? Allah is not going to reveal the ayah to validate you. But when you know that what you are doing or what you have done is aligned with the things that God has obligated upon you, that's your validation. I know that I have done right by you by way of me aligning my actions with the commandments and the responsibilities that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed upon me. So whether you acknowledge it or you don't acknowledge it, you understand? There is an inward peace that nobody can take that away from you. Absolutely. I'm right with God, so I don't care what anybody else thinks. So, to answer your question, you know, when you're, you know, the validation that you are seeking from your spouse, if you're not receiving it, then you have to learn how to self-validate, right? Because you're not going to always, you're not going to always get that. That should not be the expectation. Happiness does not develop in a marriage, (laughs) Happiness develops by you taking ownership of your life and your happiness. The the marriage arena is where you share your happiness. Is where you extend your happiness to your spouse by way of giving them the rights that God has obligated you to give them. That's where happiness manifests. Happiness does not develop in a marriage. You should be able to be happy by yourself. You follow me? Happiness is something that you develop on your own. 
within a marital setting, happiness is where it, it manifests in a happy in a marital setting by way of you giving your spouse the rights that God, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has obligated upon you to give your spouse. And depending on your level of happiness, depending depending on your level of self-contentment, depending on your, you know, your your level of peace inner peace will determine how far and to what degree you go to to make sure that your spouse is happy because a miserable person can't offer anything but misery you understand somebody who doesn't have something can't give you what they don't have so if you are currently in a marriage and you are miserable perhaps the only thing that your spouse can offer you is misery because they are miserable and you are sitting here with false hopes, hoping that at some point this person wakes up and starts to make you happy. The person cannot make you happy because they themselves are not happy. A person who doesn't have something can't give you what they don't have. They can't give you what they don't have. The Prophet ﷺ said that none of you truly believe until you love for your brother what you love for yourself. But if you don't love for yourself, you can't possibly love for your brother. You can't because you don't have it. You got to have self-love first. <laughs> you understand? You have to have self-love first. You have to have self-validation first. But we're two empty people in a relationship trying to fill each other's cup up with the drop or a couple of droplets that we have in our own cup. <laughs> you only got a drop. I only got a couple of drops and we steady trying to drain each other for the little bit of drops that we have. Nah, man, go fill your cup up on your own. I'll go fill my cup up on my own and then we'll both make cheers together with full cups. <laughs> But this whole idea of you filling up my cup and me filling up your cup, man, that is a farce. That's not real. <laughs> that is not real. <laughs> That's not how it works. <laughs> right. <laughs> it is draining. <laughs> That's not how it works. <laughs> But we sitting here with this false notion that I'm going to go into a relationship and you're going to make me happy. And the moment I don't feel happy in this relationship, I'm out. <laughs> you should have came in here happy. <laughs> that's that's usually how it works. You come in happy. And then what you can offer in the relationship is based upon your degree of happiness when you came in. You don't come in miserable, stumbling into the relationship, one arm, one leg, you know, shot here, stabbed here, you know, dripping blood every damn where. And then you come into the marriage talking about, you know, fix me. I am not Ayanla. I'm not here to fix your damn life. That's not my job. <laughs> you understand? That's that you don't go into a marriage with someone hoping that they going to bandage you up and package you up and, you know, straighten you out. And, and unfortunately, women, you guys do that a lot because you love a challenge. You love a task. You love a project. So you go marry the worst type of brother that you can. Oh, you know, he's been married two or three times. He got children, you know, over this one. And his baby mother is taking him to court. And he's going over here and doing this. And this is taking. And, and you, you feel like, mashallah, you're going you're gonna to bring him in. You're going to package him up. You're going to bandage him up. And in the moment you bandage him up, you, 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 you know. You do what you do, right? Guess what happens? Guess what happens when you pat, pat, you know, patch him up, straighten him out, help him along. He doesn't. You don't helped him start his own business. You don't patch. You know, patched up. You know the relationship. Right? He goes and he marries your best friend. 
Right. Stop looking for a project, man. Stop looking for a project. Okay, so lead with validation. If you want what you want from your spouse, lead with validation. All right, and here again, we're talking to couples that are actually working on something. We're not talking about this this one-sided relationship where the man or the woman is the only one doing all the work in the relationship. We're not talking about these lopsided relationships. That stuff, I, I can't fix that, unfortunately. If the person has no internal motivation to fix their marriage, you're looking at a beautiful union of you and your wife or you and your husband and there's children involved. And I mean, if, if you can't see, you know, the investment that you have, I, there's nobody that can fix that. There's there's no one that can fix that. I, I'm not talking to those type of people because I, I see a lot of, well, what if and what if and what if? And, and I'm sorry, there's, there's nobody that can fix that because that motivation has to come from within. He or she in that relationship has to want to invest in their investment. They have to want to see the ROI, the return on the investment that they have made. If you went into a marriage with someone and there's children involved, there's a home involved, there's cars involved, there's two jobs involved or whatever the case may be. That's a that's an investment. That's an investment. And if you are ready to drop that at at, at the at the smallest little infraction, then I'm sorry. There's nobody that can help you with that because you are the one who failed to see, you know, your investment. I'm not talking about those type of relationships. I'm talking about the type of relationships where people are actually working on something. We we working like we work in progress. You know, we slip, we fall into arguing and whatever the case may be. But then when, you know, opportunities like what we're doing right now, you know, presents itself, we're there, husband and wife, and we're listening and we're taking notes and we're going to go back and we're going to apply what we learn. Those are the type of couples that I'm working with. Those are the type of people that I am talking to you, talking to. You understand? I'm not talking about these situations where they're just one sided relationship where the man or the woman are the one, only ones in the relationship working. Right. You sitting here listening now and your spouse, you know, kind of trying to figure out why in the hell are you listening to him or why are you, you know, wasting your time listening to this. You know, that, that's a one sided relationship. I, I don't know what to tell you, honestly. All right. But lead with validation. Which is to my point, if you want what you want from the person, then you have to lead with validation. So let me give you an example of this. So when your spouse comes to you and says, you know, I I really have a problem when you say things like X, Y, Z. Or I have a problem when you tell me that you will be here at three and then you show up an hour, two hours later. That, That really triggers me. If it's a man... How do you get what you want from your wife? You first, you validate that. You say, honey, I totally understand why you feel the way that you feel. I I really do. Even if you don't necessarily agree, you don't have to agree, but you do have to validate the emotion because the emotion is real. The emotion is real. The action may have a justification for it. The action may have a justification 
And you can justify that later, but the immediate response should be to validate the emotion. Don't make the person walk away feeling like they are crazy. That is called gaslighting. You are not giving the person the opportunity to be heard. You are not giving the person the opportunity to be validated. You are making the person feel like their emotions, their feelings are totally irrelevant. And there's nothing that is more dismissive than that. There's nothing that is more dismissive than that. Brothers who have multiple wives, your wife might be having a moment, a moment of jealousy. It happens in polygyny and sometimes in monogamy. It happens. Your wife comes to you and she brings you a situation, right? No, that doesn't mean talk about it later. No, you validate the emotion right there on the spot. And once you validate the emotion, the guard comes down because now the person feels like, okay, they hurt me. You say, honey, I totally understand why you feel the way that you feel. I do. I get it. And and I'm really sorry that you feel like that. I validated your emotion. Now let's deal with the action. Because this, when we have a problem, it's two-sided. There's, there's the emotion that was triggered and then there's the action that triggered it. Once the spouse validates the emotion, they are no longer a part of that. Now that's your issue because I validated your emotion. I saw that it hurt you. It bothered you. And I apologize for that. And I, and I told you that I totally understand how you could feel like that. I validated that emotion. Now, if you choose to let that emotion go at that moment, you let your trigger go at that moment. That's up to you. But your spouse validated the emotion. It was validated. He acknowledged it, all right? He apologized for, you know, the action. All right, now let's deal with the action. The reason why I was late was because X, Y, Z. And she might double back and say, well, but you make a pattern of that. It's a habit that you do that often. You do that often. And then he could further validate that. Well, you know, I'm sorry, but a lot of times I get held up. So then now we come with the solution. Okay, well, what's the solution? The solution is stop telling me that you'll be there in an hour and you show up two hours later. Just say where you are and the, you know, estimated time. I'm not saying definitely because women, sometimes you guys take things when men tell you things, it's a definite. If I say I'm going to be there in an hour, for men, we mean (laughs) hour-ish. You know what I mean? Hour-ish. That's what we mean. For women, it's like, It's 3.49, that means that you'll be here at 4.49. (laughs) And every every minute after 4.49 is counted against you. So you show up at 4.59, 10 minutes late. And you walk through the door as a man and she's like, you're 10 minutes late. You told me you were going to be here at 4.49. I was like, okay, I'm 10 minutes late. No, but that's not the problem. The problem is you say you're going to be here an hour and then you show up 10 minutes late. (laughs) You understand? That that's men, man logic, woman logic. It just sometimes it clashes. And for men, sometimes we just write it off as you're just being emotional. You're just a woman. You're so anal with everything, whatever the case may be. But no, we still have to take ownership. We still have to take responsibility for the emotion that we created, the, what we triggered. And validate that. Don't dismiss that. A woman says, you know, well, you know, I'm, she's a little jealous or a little, you know, a little triggered, you know, due to her jealousy or whatever. 
sometimes men will say, well, get over it. You know, you know that I can have multiple wives. So why are you making an issue out of it? (laughs) That is the ultimate invalidation. The ultimate invalidation. Just because you can have multiple wives does not give you a free pass. Does not give you a free pass to look at every woman that that crosses your path. You understand? Don't say, well, you know, I can have multiple wives. So why are you in your feelings? I can look at any woman I want to look at. Like, how you know I'm not looking for another wife? Well, Negro, I know you're not looking for another wife because we didn't have a discussion about you having another wife. We didn't have a discussion about your finances to be able to afford another wife. That's how I know you're not looking for another wife. So don't run this whole, you know, because that's dismissive. That's dismissive. I'm just saying facts because I know brothers that do that. Oh, um, you know, you know, she's like, well, why are you looking at every woman that walked by you eyeballing every woman? It's like, what's the problem? It's like, well, you know, I can take another wife. So how, you know, I'm not looking for another wife. I can look, I can look at whoever I want to blow. It might be a prospective wife I'm looking for. It's like, but we didn't have any discussion about you having another wife. We, we didn't talk about that. <laughs> We still haven't even paid our rent. And you talking about how I know you're not looking for another wife. It's like, dude, please <laughs> spare me the, you know, the, the, the jargon, the Islamic jargon, man. I miss me with that. But even if you were looking for another wife, that's not a free pass for you to eyeball every woman that crosses your path. You understand? No, this is why some men don't like me, period. (laughs) And they're not men, honestly. They're not men. They're weak-ass little children. That's who they are. They're not men. Because any man who's a real man, a father of a daughter, any man who's a real man would respect exactly what I'm saying. Any man would respect what I'm saying. If you have a daughter, how about somebody was doing that to your daughter? You know, how about somebody was doing that to your mother? Any man who is a man would respect what I'm saying. It's little boys who feel like you're infringing on their playground time. That feel like, oh, he messing the game up. Oh, he's, you know, man, miss me with that, man. Get in line. I, I really don't care. Honestly, you can be in your feelings all you want. I don't care. But you guys, you women, you guys need to learn your religion. Learn your deen. All right. So lead with validation. Lead with validation. All right. Everybody got that. All right. I I want you guys to use that. So the next time you, you, you know, your spouse comes to you. um, The first thing that you want to do is validate because you see that they're bothered. You can look at their facial expression. You can look at their energy and you can see that they are bothered. So validate that. Don't dismiss that under the guise of protecting yourself. All right. You have some people who want to protect themselves. So rather than, you know, rather than, you know, dealing with the emotion and fixing that, they'll they'll just jump back and put up a wall to defend themselves. All right. You have some men who, you know, as well as women who have been traumatized in their lives, have been traumatized, especially if you are the oldest child. All right. The oldest child usually gets blamed for everything. Right. The oldest child usually gets blamed for everything. All right. So if you are oldest child and you are married, 
then sometimes you may put up your guard when your husband or your wife comes at you about something because it reminds you, it triggers you, it puts you back into that space when you were a kid and your parents would come at you for something that your younger siblings did. So you put up a guard, you you resort right back to that same behavior because your spouse coming at you triggers you. It triggers you. And you have to work out your triggers. This is why I posted the book, Emotional Intelligence. You got to work on why you feel triggered like this. Because a lot of times our triggers is due to our childhood traumatic experiences, people that we have come in contact with that have traumatized us, right? And we still have not worked through those triggers. But when your spouse comes to you, he was, oh boy, here we go again, right? You, You know why you say that. It's not because the person is always complaining. It's just that when you hear the person complaining, it puts you back into a space where that was uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable and I get it, but you got to, you got to learn how to deal with that when it comes to you. Every situation is different. If your spouse is coming to you saying, Hey, don't say, here we go again. You know, no, hear the person out. Maybe I'm making a lot of mistakes. Have you ever thought about that? It's like, man, I can't do nothing right. And women, you guys are famous for that. Everything I do is wrong. No, it's not everything. That's my next issue is generalities. Not everything that you do is wrong. Not everything that you do is wrong. But the thing that I am bringing to your attention now, we need to address that. Don't say everything I do is wrong, right? Because that's a deflection. You are deflecting now. That is a deflecting mechanism to exaggerate the situation at hand, to lump it together with all of the other previous situations. Meanwhile, one has absolutely nothing to do with the other. You understand? And it's very hard to be in a relationship with someone who doesn't doesn't understand this and doesn't want to understand this. Because the people who have the, the most healthiest marriages are people who take time out to understand how these things work. And they're very simple. I had to figure it out. I didn't pop out of my mother's womb understanding how relationships work. You understand? I had to figure it out. I'm still figuring it out. (laughs) I don't have it all figured out. Nobody does. Nobody has it all figured out. Well, Jezak, Sister Shahada, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you. You know what I mean? But to be in a relationship with someone who doesn't want to do any of this doesn't want to try to understand any of this it's like you're in a one you're in a lopsided relationship you know you got to do it all by yourself all right so lead with the validation validate the feeling even though you don't necessarily have to agree with it you validate it i totally get you i understand why you feel the way that you feel um and i'm sorry if you know i made you feel like that i'm boom done now we can get to the actual behavior. All right. You guys follow me. So validate the emotion first. You can have whatever you want to have. Just give everybody else what they want. The second thing that I want to deal with is generalities. There's nothing that destroys a conversation more than generalities, especially if you are a literal person. All right. You take things literally. All right. And uh, I'm I'm to some degree a literal person, very literal. And when you say to me, you always do this, 
See, you always say that or you always do this. And it's just like, I always <laughs> you're not going to leave any room <laughs> like don't. There's nothing that destroys a conversation more than generalities, because what generalities do is they put you in a box. It puts you in a box. It's like you always do this. And it's like, I always do that. Yeah, you always do that. Like, did I do it yesterday? Did I do it 10 minutes ago? It's like, you know what I mean? No, I don't know what you mean. I don't know what you mean until you tell me what you mean. How about that? I don't know what you mean until you tell me exactly what you mean. And you just use an emphatic phrase, general phrase. I always do that. And I'm saying to you, I don't always do that. There may be times when I have done that, but it's not always. And there's nothing that destroys a conversation more, especially to literal people, than a person who uses generalities all the time. And see, I just did that, right? Because no one uses generalities all the time. Right. So I just did that talking to you guys, trying to show you how how it looks when you when you're looking at it from an objective lens. All right. When you're in it and you're using it, 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 it feels good. And let's talk about why people use generalities. Why? Why do people use generalities? Why do people use generalities? Question. Does anyone know? Why people use these generalities to get their point across, to, to, to try and bolster their point. Yes, it's easy, right? Anything else? They're really trying to get their point across. It's, a, it's their go-to. It's their default button. So it's easy. That's, that's where they go. They go to these generalities, right? Anyone else? Not sure, but to add a sense of urgency. Very good. Add a sense of urgency, right? They don't know how to articulate themselves to deflect. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. To add value to what they're saying, right? In, in Arabic, it's called tafkhim, to fakhim al-amr. Like you're trying to add value. You're trying to make the situation seem like it's more than what it really is. Too many invo- emotions involved, immaturity, all of that. To make the other person feel guilty, to devalue the other person, to make things seem larger than what they really are. Right. Absolutely. All of the above, (laughs) all of the stuff. And you guys know your spouses better than anybody. You know yourselves. If you are the one that uses generalities and we all do to some degree, we, we all do. All right. We, we're all guilty of that at some point myself. I'm, I'm guilty of that at some point. And for me, it's like you you want you want to drive the point home so bad. It's like, here we go again. Why do you always have to come to me? Why do you always have to, you know? And it's just like, I don't always do that. I don't always do that. And the and there are some people who, you know, they abuse, they abuse giving advice. All right. Adino Nasiha. Our religion is based upon sincerity in everything that we do. And even the advice that we give should be sincere and not to break the person down. Because one of the things that 
um, you guys didn't mention is that people sometimes will um, will exaggerate a situation right to break you down. I think, Jessica, I think you said to devalue you along those lines. But to break you down, what happens here? One spouse sees the other spouse as being more religious, more spiritual, um, or the person might not actually be that religious or that spiritual, but the other one has an insecurity. All right. So what the other one does, and this happens amongst spouses, and we're going to break, I'm going to break you down. So I married you. And a lot of times this happens with um, new converts, Right. New converts and people who are born and raised Muslim. Let me tell you how this works. So the person who is born and raised Muslim, right, born and raised Muslim, and that person marries a convert. The convert comes in, you know, especially if they're new to Islam and they're still overzealous and enthusiastic about Islam or whatever the case may be. The person who was born and raised Muslim will try to break the spirit of the new convert, break them down. Right. We'll try to break them down. Right. And make them feel like, okay, now I got to level you because you come in with this new convert energy, you know, thinking that, you know, everything. And some converts, some new converts do give off the energy like they know everything. They got it all figured out. You know, I mean, some of them do. Some of them do. Right. Um, But it's not for the other spouse as a as a seasoned Muslim, someone who was born and raised Muslim. You marry a convert that has all of this zeal and this vigor and this this enthusiasm. Your job is to help them hone in on that energy and use it in the right way, not to break them down. Right. Not to break them down and level them because maybe, you know, you went four, five, ten years of your life without praying or fasting. And now you now you're back on your dean and you marry somebody who is, you know, never missed the prayer, you know, very overzealous, very, very, you know, in, you know, invigorated about Islam and in the practices of Islam. And that you're, you're coming like, man, it's not all of that serious. You know, it's not all that serious, you know, and you're trying to break them down. It's like, why do you always have to, you know, like. You always got to get up for to hundred every single night. You don't have to wake me up all the time. It's like, I didn't wake you up all the time. I woke you up this time. I haven't woken you up for, you know, Salatul to in a long time. But, you know, but you're using that to break me down, to break my spirit. And we want to be careful not to use generalities. They're very dangerous. Be specific on purpose. All right. Be specific on purpose. When you talk to people, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, ibadi ahsan. And say to my servants, they should choose the best words. Because shaitan uses words to sow discord between people. Choose the best words. And a generality is not a best word. It's not a good word to use. It's not a good phrase to use. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, say to, my, say to my servants, O Muhammad, that they should choose the best words when they are communicating to one another. For indeed, shaitan sows discord and dissension between them through their words. So words are powerful, especially in a marital construct, in a relationship arena. Words are very powerful and they carry a lot of weight. And we want to be careful that we don't constantly use generalities all the time because it's it's toxic. It's emotionally draining. 
Think about you come to your spouse and you want to bring something to their attention. You say, honey, I, I want to talk. It's like, oh, my God, you always have to, you know, how do you how do you think that makes the other person feel like, well, damn, maybe I should just not say anything. Right. Maybe I should just not say anything. Right. Don't don't contribute to Shaitan's destruction of your spouses. Right. You feel dismissed. You feel dismissed. And then children start doing it. God forbid, you know, children start to do that. Be specific on purpose. Be specific. Don't say you always do this. Or why do you always have to, you know, like, I don't always do this. (laughs) It's like you just crumbled my spirit. You just balled me up like a piece of paper and tossed me under the guise that, I always do it. It's like, all right, well, how about I just not come to you at all anymore? How about I just let you do you in a relationship and I don't say anything to you? How about that? Because that's what it seems like you want. Our memories also fail us, but then is the solution to keep tally? No, it's not. It's not because, and I mean, we also have to pick our battles. We also has to, we also have to pick and choose, right? Uh, as Imam Ahmed Rahimullah Ta'ala said, um, you know, a certain percentage of good character, uh, character is to ghafl, is to, you know, to, to act like you didn't see something, to ignore things. You got to learn how to let stuff go. You don't have to address every single thing because then it will seem like you complain about everything. It will seem like that. And there are some people who, yeah, they're triggered by everything. You know what I mean? And the, if you're triggered by everything in your relationship, it, here's an FYI. It's not your spouse. It's you. If you're triggered by everything, your spouse can't joke with you. Don't joke with me like that. Don't play with me like that. I don't joke around like that. Uh, you know, if you're triggered by everything in your relationship, then, the, you know, guess what? FYI, it's not your spouse. It's you. And, and maybe you probably should not have to have gone into a marriage if you're triggered by every single thing. And everything does not deserve a response. Some things you can let slide. Some things you can, you know, you got to pick and choose when to say something, when not to say something. And that's part of the sunnah. You think the Prophet ﷺ addressed every single thing that went on in his community? No. There were some things that had to be addressed. Some things that had to be addressed. When the women started coming to the houses of the Prophet ﷺ, his wives complaining about the men beating them, hitting them, or whatever the case may be, it got to a point where he had no other choice but to address it in public. So he gets on the minbar the next day, calls everybody out, and then he says that, you know, women have come to the houses of my wives last night complaining about their husbands' abusive behavior. He said, They are not the best of the men from amongst you. The man that abuses his woman is not from the best of the men from amongst you. He had to address it publicly because it had reached a point where it had to be addressed publicly. And and I follow that sunnah. I don't address everything. I see stuff on a daily basis. On the internet, things like that. And I'm I'm not the police. I'm not the Muslim police. It's not my job. But at the same token, when certain things, you know, do come up, I feel like it's, you know, as a voice in the Islamic community, it becomes my response. Not just my responsibility, but responsibility of every leader in, or student of knowledge in the Islamic community. However, everybody, you know, is different. 
Everybody is different. Some people is not an urgency. Some people is not important. And some people figure, well, you know, let Shadid deal with it. Let him let him address it. You know what I mean? But there will come a time when Shadid Muhammad is no longer around and somebody's going to have to address it. Somebody's going to have to say something. I'm just I'm just being honest with you. This whole idea of letting one man, you know, shoulder everything, it's, it's not fair, number one, while everybody gets to sit back and, you know, continue on with their daily lives. And, you know, meanwhile, you have people out here dealing with real issues on a daily on a daily basis. You know, you got to get in where you fit in. So there's some things that don't need to be addressed. There's some things that can be overlooked. And then there's some things that we just can't be silent about, whether in a public sphere or whether in a more private realm which is i.e. you know in the in the four walls of our of our marriages there's some things that you know you can just let slide you don't have to say something about every single thing all right there's some things you can let slide all right so generalities leading with validation um and let's talk about number three teaching people how to love you very important we do not come with a manual, all right? We don't come with a manual, all right? When we marry people, when we go into people's lives, we don't come with a booklet that says, you know, here, you're marrying me. Here's here's my manual, my personal manual. Take this and it'll teach you everything you need to know about how to love me right. We don't come with a manual. And... Although we don't come with a manual, we also come with a lot of pain, a lot of trauma. We come with a lot of disappointment. We come with a lot of expectation. We come with a lot of requirements. We come with a lot of desires. And all of that needs to be communicated to the person that we are marrying so they know how to accommodate us the best way that they know how. You guys follow me? When we go into, think about, you know, for those of you who are not married, you are going to go into somebody's life and you're going to have expectations of them. You're going to have requirements that you need in order to, you know, foster your happiness within that marriage. You're going to have, you know, your own pain, your own triggers, your own traumatization, your own trauma from previous experiences, from childhood. You're going to go into that person's life with all of this stuff. And some people go into a relationship with all of these things, expecting that the other person should know. (laughs) Expecting that the person should know exactly all of the nuances that make you you. You understand? We don't come with a manual. Nobody is documenting all of their pain, all of their hurt, all of their trauma, all of their, you know, expectations. Nobody is going into a marriage with all of this. We don't come with a booklet, a manual. So how does the other person know what you need, what you expect, what you, you know, I mean, like you could even during the sit down express to the person, right? Sometimes you haven't even figured out everything that causes you pain, everything that triggers you, everything that you expect, everything like, you know, your expectations change based upon your maturation Based upon a lot of variables, what you need at 22, 23, 24 is not the same thing that you need at 32, 33, 34. And what you need at 32, 33, 34 is not what you need at 43, 43, 43, 42, 43, 44. You understand? 
You, you understand? So sometimes what we express to a person at that very moment may not, we, it may change over time. So my point is that how do we get the other person to accommodate us to the best of their ability? Because even though we come in with all of these things, the person that you're marrying may possibly never, may never be able to give you exactly what you need. There are very few people who have married into relationships, have married people, and have had their requirements and their expectations all met to the standard that they like them to be met. Very few people. Some of us have gotten some expectations met, and the others we had to just settle. Some of us had to just, you know, rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us, you know, meet our needs to the best of our ability. We rely, rely on God. And then some of us, you know, haven't had much met at all effective communication so we have to teach people how to love us how i want to be loved and you do that through effective communication transparency all right transparency how you communicate to a person so for example if a woman says oh you're not spending and i don't feel like you're spending enough time with me what does that mean? I don't understand what that means. What do you mean I'm not spending enough time with you? You have to be more specific. Well, what would you want me to spell it out? Yes, I want you to spell it out. What do you mean I'm not spending enough time with you? And how would you like me to spend that time with you? I need you to spell it out for me because you're the one bringing me the problem. <laughs> and anytime you bring somebody a problem, you should also bring them the solution. <laughs> it just makes total sense. I tell my students that all the time. Don't bring me a problem if you're not going to bring me the solution. Because only you know what the solution to that problem is. It's, it's your problem. <laughs> it's not my problem. I didn't have a problem. To me, we spend enough time as it is. You understand? We spend enough time as far as I am concerned. You are the one who came to me and said, we are not spending enough quality time. Okay, so how would you like that to be fixed? Draw that out for me in real time. Paint a picture for me in real time. How much more quality time would you like me to spend? And how would you, how do you like that to look? You understand? What suggestions do you have? How can we fix that? How can help me help you? Help me to help you fix that. How do you want me to fix that? Well, if I got to tell you, then we don't need to be married. Well, then you know what? <laughs> Maybe we don't need to be married because you didn't come with a manual. And the only way that I know how to give you what you need is when you express it to me, when you explain it to me. You understand? If, if, if you know, you have some women, especially they'll say, well, what do you want me? If I got to spell it out for you, if I got to say it to you, then, you know, then maybe we don't need to be married. Well, then maybe we don't need to be married. I mean, you're the one who said it. <laughs> you said it. But don't put yourself in a situation for someone to call you bluff. If you are telling me that what I am offering you is not enough for you, then it becomes your responsibility to explain to me how you would like that need met. It's called teaching people how to love you. Teaching people how to love you. I don't, I don't know how to love you, 
understand something. Many of us came from our homes with our parents and we were taught love in, in, a, in a variety of ways. All right. There are different love languages. The love language of my mother and father may not be the love language of mine or my spouse's. And the only way that I know what your love language is, is that you got to express that to me and then give me an opportunity to accommodate you. You understand? You got to give you got to speak it into fruition and give me an opportunity to, you know, to accommodate you. But I might have grown up in a home where I saw my mom, you know, being, you know, sprinkled with trinkets and jewelry and things. like, And that was her love language. And that was the way my father accommodated her. So in my mind, that trained me that to satisfy a woman, you buy her things. OK, you I might marry a woman who don't really care about material things, but they're more they, they want a more emotional connection. Outings, walkings, holding hands, you know, going to paint and sips and obviously halal paint and sips. Right. That that might be, you know, what floats her boat. You understand? And I'm thrown off because I saw the way that my father accommodated my mother with gifts. And I'm thinking that every woman is like that. But then I marry my wife and I find out that her love language is totally different. So here I am buying her gifts and she's looking at me like that. That's not doing it for me. I don't care about the bags and the shoes. That don't mean anything to me. I can buy my own bags and my own shoes. What I need you to do is be here present with me in this moment. And now that adds another layer of education for me because I've never experienced that. I saw my father giving my mom jewelry, gifts, taking her out places and things like that. That was my mom's love language. You guys follow me. But my wife's love language is totally different. So now I got to relearn what her love language is and how she wants to be accommodated. You following me? So everybody is different. Some people grew up in a home where they weren't shown love at all. So they have no concept of love whatsoever. And I, I, I really believe in the Muslim community that there are so many, especially amongst the Salafis, especially in the Salafi community. For all of you brothers and sisters who are, you know, being nurtured, you know, religiously in the Salafi community, I, I, I think that you have a very faint understanding of what love actually looks like. I do. It's like that movement, that call is a magnet for people who have, you know, very dysfunctional lifestyles, who grew up in very dysfunctional homes. I, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced. I'm convinced. Because of the, the amount of trauma and dysfunction that it attracts, it, it's, it's no coincidence. But then, you know, we, we also have to, you know, be mindful that, you know, people have had some very harsh upbringings and it seems like they all gravitate towards, you know, the, the Salafi approach to Islam, the Salafi methodology, the hardcore Salafi methodology. It seems like they, they are attracted to that stuff. And you, you take a peek into peel back one layer in those communities and you'll see dysfunction on top of dysfunction, man, all stemming from. A group of people who have no concept of love, many of whom, I don't want to use generalities, many of whom have absolutely no concept of love. And then women who marry into those situations, they force themselves to accept what is being offered as a form of love. 
you know damn well that that's not the way that you want to be loved. But we'll promote it as if you're happy and then, you know, once you can't take it anymore and your spirit has been broken and, and then you decide to get up and leave from that situation, only then will the real you come out and you really realize and now you start to speak, you know, verb, you know, speak openly about all of the traumatic experiences that you had while you were in the community. But, you know, years ago when you were in it, you suppressed all of your feelings. You, you, you made everybody believe that that was the end all be all. And it's, it's a lie. It's a big lie. It's a huge lie. And anybody with two eyes can see it for what it is. People are, are, are just depressed in, in those situations. Any woman that marries into a situation, they're disposable. Any man is, you know, he's not even allowed to be vulnerable to go to an imam and, you know, seek some counsel or advice out of fear that, you know, his wife is going to be the imam's next wife. You know what I mean? I, it's, it's just really ridiculous. It's really dysfunctional. But you can't possibly make me believe that many of them have a concept of love. Everything is robotic. Everything is just, you know... <laughs> systematic and you know you know robotic and routine everything that's not love that's not love i think shakespeare was the one who said you know woe is the person who try to make you know try to make sense out of emotions since when is emotions you know robotic and, and stoic very good and and systematic that, that's not emotions that means that there's an absence of emotions you follow me that means that there is an absence of emotion. But, you know, you got it. You guys got it all figured out. It's all good. You're on the hock and everybody else is not. And, you know, continue, continue. But but we do see people leaving those movements, you know, moving away from that and then kind of coming forward saying, you know, about the, the horrible experiences that they've had in those situations, you know. And it's really sad. But I just think that in the Islamic community that we've we've lost the concept of love, man. Do we even know what, you know what I'm saying? The indirect effects of the crack era rolling into our dean. Absolutely. 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 Not even rolling into our dean because this is, I don't actually even consider that a part of dean. That's that's a whole nother movement. Like the Nation of Islam, like all these other different movements, it's just another movement. That's all it was was another movement. It didn't leave behind anything. There's no huge Salafi mashes where Hufal, the Quran are being produced and, you know, imams are being produced and healthy communities are being produced. I, I don't see that. So, and that's what, it, that's the legacy of Islam. When we read Islam in books, we see the legacy of healthy, happy, you know, spiritually functioning communities, you know, and people. <laughs> That's what we see being left behind because of the tarbiyah of Islam. But when we look in our modern day Salafi communities, we, we don't see that at all. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I don't see any of that. I don't see any of that. What we see is, you know, gangsters who have now converted to Islam and have, you know, now purified their gangsterism through Salafism. That, that's what we see. Where a man could be murdered on the last 10 nights of Ramadan after Tarawiyah shot in the head or shot in the face, you know, in front of a masjid, like, you know, in front of a Salafi masjid. I mean, to me that there's something wrong with that picture. And that's not the first murder, not the first shooting in front of or inside of a Salafi masjid. So, you know, at some point we have to start questioning the methodology. 
Like what is really going on here? What is really happening here? And if that is what is going on on the outside, you can only imagine what the households and, you know, what the Tarabiya on the inside is going on, is like. You can only imagine. And then, you know, we'll still parade around like everything is okay because as long as women are wearing black overgarments and niqabs and men are wearing white thobes and, you know, ezars and, you know, it looks like from the outside we're, we're okay. But when we peel back a couple of layers, we realize we're not okay. We're actually very dysfunctional. Yeah, it's not it's not a coincidence, but there there is an absence of love. There is an absence of love. Absolutely. Without a fact, uh, without a doubt. But, you know, here again, being transparent about what you want from your spouse and being able to communicate that in clear terms, clear terms. Right. Clear terms. And, you know, that is when, you know, you can teach the person how to love you. No one knows how to love you until you communicate that to them. Until you tell me. I can offer you what I can offer in hopes that what I'm, and I'm only offering you what I'm offering you based upon my previous experiences, either with relationships or my previous experience based upon what went on in my household. That is all we have to offer when we go into somebody's life. What I saw growing up and, you know, my previous bouts with love or with relationships or marriage. That's all I'm working with. Because many of us haven't gone through any formal studying of marriage and relationships and things like that. You know, what I mean, like many of us haven't done that. Many of us don't sit in workshops. Many of us don't take courses or things like that. You know, what I mean, so we're only coming into the relationship with what we have. Which is very limited. <laughs> very limited. So when we come into the relationship, um, we're saying, this is what I can offer you. You might say, well, that's not going to work for me. Okay, if, that, if what I'm offering you is not working for you, then you need to teach me all over how you want to be loved. And give me an opportunity to accommodate you. But don't just automatically assume that because I married you or because you married me, that I automatically know how to love you. I only know what you tell me, either directly or indirectly. I can do something and then I can watch your reaction and I can see that I got a positive reaction and then I'll know, okay, well, she likes that or he likes that. So I'm going to keep doing that. All right. And even that might change. (laughs) You know what I mean? That might change. Women have children and their emotions change. Their, you know, sexual appetites change, you know, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. Men, you know, sometimes, you know, you know, due to, you know, our previous lifestyle, sometimes we suffer from impotence. Sometimes we suffer from, you know, just cancerous, you know, things that go on in our bodies or whatever that affect our ability to be sexually, you know, effective. All right. And so things change. So what I was offering at 23, 24, 25, you know, may not be the same thing that I can offer at 33, 34, 35 or 43, 44, 45. You understand? So things change with time as long as you are married to the person. But you have to be willing to communicate to the person what you want from them. Teach people how to love you. And the same goes with if they are treating you unfairly. If a person is using profanity when they talk to you, if a person is, you know, using, you know, you know, words that are demeaning and dismissive when they talk to you, then you have to be the one to say, hey, listen, that's not going to work for me. I I don't appreciate you when you talk to me like that. 
I'm not going to be receptive to you when you talk to me like that. When you raise your voice and you start waving your hand in my face, I shut down. I'm not going to I'm not going to be receptive to that. I'm trying to teach you how you can get the best out of me. You follow me. If you want me to respond to you in a healthy way, you have to take a different approach because this approach is not going to give you the, the, the result that you're looking for. I'm trying to teach you. I'm, I'm trying to teach you how to get the best out of me. But all of the raising your voice and using profanity and things like that, you are going to bring the worst out of me. And I don't think that that's what you want. If we are in a marriage and we have children together, I think that you want the best out of me, right? Let me be correct about that. You want the best from me, right? Okay, so me telling you now that you raising your voice at me, you using profanity when you talk to me, you waving your hands in my face, or you touching me physically in an aggressive way, I'm telling you by doing that, you are going to bring the worst out of me, not the best. You're not going to get the response that you're looking for. Whether the response is to hear you out, whether the response is to respect what you're saying, or the response is for me to just shut down and accept everything you're saying. You're not going to get any of that. You're going to get the total opposite of that. So let me tell you how you can get the best out of me. Number one, lower your voice. I hear you. Uh, you don't you don't have to raise your voice when you talk to me. I'm not incompetent. I'm not deaf. I hear you. We can talk like sensible human beings. You don't have to raise your voice. Number two, um, you don't have to use profanity. Like we're adults. We can we are we are able to communicate our needs and our wants to one another without resorting to using profanity. Profanity is an indication that the person lacks the vocabulary and the vernacular to articulate their feelings. Or it's an easy go to, you know, what I mean, we just reach for we just reach in our bag of words and profanity is right there at the top. You got to dig a little deeper when we communicate using profanity is not going to get, you know, it's not going to make it happen. And, you know, touching me in an aggressive way is definitely not going to get you the result that you're looking for on any level. So let me show you how to communicate to me effectively so that you can get what you want. Lower your voice, stop using profanity and, you know, maybe perhaps sit down because when you're standing, you're, you're more aggressive. The Prophet said that if you're angry and you're standing, sit down. If you're sitting, go make wudu. If, you, if that doesn't help, then lay down. If that doesn't help, then change your space. Go into a different space. Because perhaps shaitan and the shayateen have occupied that space to such a degree that the only way to change that energy is to move to another place. Alright? You understand? This is from our deen. This is from our religion. And then we can start all over. Maybe we need to put, put the conversation on pause and revisit the conversation at another time. Another time when we are not heated. The Prophet ﷺ saw two people shouting and yelling at each other. And he said, I know a word that if both of them was to say it, what they are experiencing would leave them. To say, I seek refuge with Allah from the accursed devil, shaitan. All right. That's you teaching the person, not you shouting back at the person trying to meet. Don't match the energy. Allah says in the Quran, "Idfa' billati hiya ahsan." Repel evil with one that is better. Meaning, do not meet negative energy with negative energy. People who fight fire with fire usually end up with a burnt down house. Usually end up with ashes. Don't fight fire with fire. Because if you meet that energy with the with a like energy, 
then you already know what's getting ready to happen. You are obviously upset. You obviously are trying to communicate something to me, but the way you are doing it right now, that is not going to get you the result that you're looking for. So why don't we act like Muslims? Why don't we seek refuge with Allah from Shaitan? Why don't we sit down? Why don't we lay down? Why don't we go make wudu? Why don't we remove ourselves from the space that we are in? All right. Possibly go outside, possibly go to another room, possibly revisit the conversation at another time. That that's the way to and that'll give me an opportunity to process what you are saying and give you a response back that is healthy. But if you're shouting and I'm shouting, guess what's going to end up happening? Shaitan is going, you know, you know, because when two people are alone, Shaitan is the third party. So if husband and wife are yelling and shouting at each other in the house. Guess who's there? You know, fueling the, the anger. Right. And then on top of that, nobody is listening to the other person. This this is, you know, communication, effective communication one on one. All right. So teach people how to treat you, teach people how to love you. The only way the person knows is when you teach them. All right. Don't just automatically assume that the person is married to you and that the person should know how to communicate with you. All right. So this is what I wanted to talk about for today. Inshallah ta'ala. Um, and we'll stop here. Bi'idhanillah. Wa sallallahu ala nabiru Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa salama tasliman kathira wa akhiru da'wana. And alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. I have time for maybe one question and then we'll stop here. This um, the audio will be uploaded to the podcast as um, episode number three. Um, the video will be uploaded to uh, my uh, YouTube page, Mashallah Taala www.rawda r a w d a h on YouTube. That's my YouTube channel. Um, I will begin uploading these videos to the Madadia Show, the Madadia Show channel. The Madadia Show has its own channel on YouTube. Uh, just haven't had the, the time or the space to begin uploading to that particular um, channel. But you will find it on my individual channel, inshallah ta'ala. So um, that'll con- conclude today's uh, discussion. Uh, this weekend, inshallah, I'll be in the Maryland, D.C. area. And uh, possibly maybe this weekend I'll have some conversations with some people uh, looking for anyone who uh, wants to chime in on this conversation about marriage, um, tips for marriage, because we need it. We need it. Um, I'm all about empowering, educating, inspiring. That's my model. All right. Empowering, educating and inspiring. That is my job. All right. Um, I'm not here to grab anybody by the hand. I'm not here to, you know, I'm here to teach you how to fish, not to fish for you. I'm done fishing for people. All right. I don't I don't do that. I'm going to teach you how to fix your own life. All right. Any questions really quickly? I have about maybe five, five minutes to deal with maybe one question. Yes, I'll be in Atlanta on the 29th through the 30th, inshallah, uh, in Atlanta. Uh, You can find the um, flyer for that on my page. Um on my Instagram page as well as my Facebook page. Uh, I will be at, be at the Third Good Marshall Center in D.C. this Saturday uh, from 1 to 4 p.m. And the title of my discussion uh, there will be, you know, Love How You See Me Loving, which is a play on the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, uh, Pray As You've Seen Me Praying. 
So we're going to take a look at how the Prophet ﷺ expressed love to his community, whether in an individual capacity with his wives or whether in a communal capacity with uh, members in his community and how we as an Islamic community can get back to, um, uh, you know, exercising love and exercising, you know, compassion towards one another in a time when we are really slowly but surely losing compassion and mercy for one another. We, we, we are losing that. Trustworthiness is gone. You, you can forget about it. The Prophet ﷺ said that the first thing that will be removed from our ummah is amana, is trustworthiness. And the last thing that will be removed from our ummah is salah. So right now we are past trustworthy. You, you'll be hard pressed to find somebody who is truthful to their word. All right. Um, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, Kwame, I hope I said that correctly. Um, thank you for following along and no one, you don't have to be Muslim to relate the, the message is universal, man. The message is universal. Uh, although I use, you know, references, Islamic references as a Muslim, you know, that's, that's just my reference points, but the, the message is universal. Anyone can relate. And I appreciate you being here and I appreciate you, you know, taking the time out to listen and benefit. All right. Um, so uh, that'll be this Saturday. And, and, you know, let me say something before I conclude. It's really sad that, you know, today um, I have a lot of non-Muslims, people who are not Muslim, who have sent me DMs, who have messaged me, who have sent me emails and, you know, and, and follow me and rock with me. And it's like, yo, like your message is, you know, very powerful, man. Um, the, the sister who was just on sister Shahada, who just left earlier, she said that she was at a work site listening to one of my lectures and a non-Muslim walked by and was like, man, you know, I've never heard somebody talk about religion like that before and, and ask for a copy of the Quran, you know, and it's sad. It's really, it's really puzzling that many non-Muslims, you know, enjoy, you know, my, my lectures enjoy the information that I bring to the table while many Muslims are still trying to figure out whether or not I'm Muslim enough to even listen to. It's, it's just really sad, man. It, it really is. It, I, I, I'm just puzzled, man. I'm just puzzled trying to figure out, you know, am I in the wrong place? <laughs> are you guys in the wrong place? Like what is really happening here, man? Like, you know, Muslims are really trying to figure out, oh, I don't listen to him. I don't take from him. And you know, some people got one foot in one foot out, you know, and it's just, it's really sad that Muslims are still trying to figure out whether or not I'm Muslim enough to even listen to. Meanwhile, non-Muslims are like, yo, your message is powerful, man. I, I, I love it. And it's, it's only a matter of time before, you know, I, begin to feel like and I and I also I, I actually I actually do feel like that at this point that many Muslims just are just not you know what I mean like it's just not they're not in a place where they can actually receive like you guys have been bamboozled for so long in your lives it's just you can't even distinguish when you when you have sound information like you can't even distinguish it and that is exactly what the Prophet Wasallam, you know sought refuge from he said, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min ilmin la yanfa' wa min aynin la tadma' wa min qalbin la yakhsha' wa min du'a'in la yustajabu la Oh Allah, I seek refuge with you from knowledge that has no benefit. No benefit. From an eye that does not tear. From a heart that does not fear. And from a du'a that goes unanswered. He sought refuge with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from knowledge that was not beneficial. And here we are today so engrossed in knowledge that is so unbeneficial <laughs> that we can't even distinguish what is beneficial from what is not beneficial.
We, we can't even distinguish. And it's really sad, man. It really is. It really is sad that as Muslims today in 2019, we have still managed to miss our target. Meanwhile, sound information, like I haven't given you anything that is outside of Quran and Sunnah. If I gave you something that is just from my personal opinion, I'll tell you when it's my personal opinion. But it's very rare that I speak from my own personal opinion. And usually when I'm speaking from my own personal opinion, it's about somebody personally, you know. When I say, oh, you know, my personal opinion on this person or this community or the Salafis or whatever, that's my personal opinion. But that's only a small portion of, you know, an hour and a half long lecture. Most of what I'm giving you is from the Quran and the Sunnah. And you still have people who cannot sift through everything that every, all of the biases that they have been fed and actually see the information for what it is. Meanwhile, non-Muslims are like, yo, your message is powerful. I'm, I rock with you. I feel you. Yo, yo, I, I'm, I follow you. You know what I mean? Like, you understand? I have over 16,000 followers on my Facebook page, many of whom are not Muslim. I have almost 10,000 followers on my Instagram page, most of whom are not Muslim. Go through the people that follow me and look at the, the amount of people on there that are not Muslim. Meanwhile, Muslims still trying to figure out whether he Muslim enough to even listen to. It's, it's really sad, man. And at some point, we have to ask ourselves, like, what are we doing wrong here? Or maybe I'm the one that's wrong. Maybe I'm spending too much time with Muslims and should be focusing more of my attention on people who are not Muslim. <laughs> maybe I'm the one that's in the wrong place. Inshallah, we'll figure it out at some point. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you all. Jazakumullahu khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.